Okay, so my first question is about Babylon. This is a very hot city. It's a huge travel destination. So what made you leave a city like Babylon to come back here? Well, we moved because he just didn't have enough gardening space. Those hanging gardens didn't offer the opportunities that he would have in these wide open spaces. And a little simpler life, you know, Mm -hmm. just to be a little quieter, just some time for ourselves and family. Why did you leave Babylon? We were tired of dancing. You were tired of dancing. There's too much dancing happening in Babylon. Not as much happening in Jerusalem. Yes, tamer dancing in Jerusalem. We wanted to go back and and see the city that, um, and not that everybody in in Jerusalem is perfect, but that we wanted to see the city that that had been set apart for for God. I miss the skyline. I miss the food. Um, I miss your five ways. My five ways. Are you more of a three way? Four-way well, girl. I, I like the vegetarian four-way oh, with the black beans and rice, okay, all right. the red beans, the tomatoes instead of the onions, and the cheese. So You're high maintenance. Charge me for a five-way. But <laughs> in Babylon, in Babylon, you can't get the vegetarian because they're meat eaters. Yeah, there. that's so true. I needed to get back. I'm excited about rebuilding the wall and seeing what God does back in Israel. Oh yeah. Following Nehemiah here. Oh, very good. That's that's a noble calling. People who just answered food are feeling pretty bad about themselves right now, aren't they? No. No apologies. The food's good, too. That's right. (laughs) Okay. So let's talk about the trip. It is 800 miles from Babylon to Jerusalem. So can you describe what that trip was like? Long. Long. Hilly. Hilly, yes. Back and forth, back and forth. Felt like we were going nowhere sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. My feet hurt. I definitely need a pedicure. Yeah. (laughs) She made me carry her for part of it. After about five minutes, I was like, sorry, girl, you're on your own. <laughs> can, we just, can we just get an oxen cart from Enterprise or something? <laughs> I just wanted to get an oxen cart from Enterprise. No, no, no. We cannot get a jetpack either. We can't get no, jetpack. No jetpack. No, you had to walk. So what was that like to walk for 800 miles? <laughs> your feet hurt, yeah. I, I wish I had sandals. All right, so Nehemiah is pretty clear about the packing list in his book. There are 42,360 people, 736 horses, 435 camels, 30 gold dishes, 29 silver pans, and 1,000 miscellaneous items. So I understand that your family was in charge of bringing one of the miscellaneous items back. So what was that item? (laughs) We brought back some incense. The camels, I'm telling you. (laughs) They are horrible. They spit if they don't like it. Toothbrush. Toothbrush. It's good. Fresh breath is always good when you're coming home. What was the one item you brought back with you? A gold ring. A gold ring. Oh, shiny. Very nice. Okay, so you're back. Years have passed. The temple is finished. Um, Ezra steps forward to read the law. And, of course, it's the same law that's passed from God to Moses, what you clung to when you were in exile. So describe a little bit what that felt like to hear Ezra read the word in your temple. Yes. Uh, probably one of the most wonderful things to hear was the word of God after not hearing it for so long. For so long we heard so many lies. We heard so many um, words that that pointed us towards false idols, that pointed us towards uh, wrong ways and, and um, doing things that didn't please God. And it was so good to hear, actually hear the actual words from from the scrolls 
that God had passed down for us to hear and his promises. There's nothing like God's promises. That's very true. And that was like uh, being thirsty for that whole entire time, for that 800 miles, and then coming and hearing those words spoken was um, just a refreshing of the soul. It was special. It was special. It was very emotional to Mm -hmm. know and to see those things that had been promised that my parents did not see fulfilled, Um, but to be able to see those things coming fruition with my children, it just reminded me that God is very faithful, Mm -hmm. even when times are hard. Well, it really helped me to feel like I was home. Because, really, you know that the Word of God exists wherever you go, but there's something just about coming home to people who you know, who love you, Mm -hmm. and who you respect, and then all of a sudden you hear the Word of God coming forth, and you see the promises of God being fulfilled in the rebuilding of the temple, and it's just something very special. The generations, and Ezra there with his voice, and it was like God speaking to us. And then they had those rabbis all the way through that if we had questions, we could ask them. It was just amazing. So after the law was read, Ezra instructed you to go home, feast, and make sure that no one went hungry. So what did you eat, and with whom did you share it? Share. You share. <laughs> um, we ate some meat from the goat and the horse. Okay. Goat and horse meat. Delicious. What'd you eat? Broccoli. Okay. Very good. What'd you eat? How? I ate a cheeseburger. A cheeseburger. Did you share it with somebody? I shared it with him. Oh. And how did that cheeseburger taste, Roger? Was it delicious? It was the best cheeseburger. After the reading of the law, a cheeseburger just has to be even that much more delicious, doesn't it? Yeah. All right. Any last words for our viewers on what it feels like to finally be home, physically and also in your hearts? It feels good because you can spend time with your family. Oh, very good. I yeah. miss the Babylonian sports center. You miss the Babylonian sports center. <laughs> So maybe that's the next step. Jerusalem's going to get some sports center here. It is Mm -hmm. is much more peaceful here. And uh, on one level, that's good. I have to say, though, I miss the action. I miss the battle. I miss miss the cliff jumping. You know, I mean, it was very James Bond-like being in Babylon. You know, I felt like you were running from people or wild beasts. And being back here, there is an element to feeling safe and back where I'm supposed to be. But at the same time... Um, you know, I I really would like to jump off a cliff into a pool of we got swirling water below. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. So I'm I'm about to go out right after this and find some do some cliff jumping. Jump. All right, that sounds good. But you can you know you can have your homeland ancestor word of God and your cliff jumping all in the same place here in Jerusalem. Correct. I would say just cherish everything that you have because you never know when it's not going to be there anymore. Peace, shalom. We. We just were so grateful, God, being faithful. You know, it's a much simpler life here, not as much razzle-dazzle and fancy stuff, but there's just a sense of being home where we should be, having our, our Sabbath times, and a community of faith around us that we can connect with, It's awesome. But you know what? I never want to forget 
hmm. what it was like to be in exile in Babylon. And I never want to forget what it was like to be on that journey home. Because we are on a journey home. Hmm. And that, that reminds me day by day what a special privilege it is to be able to worship together, to be able to be a family, openly faithful, in this place, looking forward to heaven. Freedom, freedom mm -hmm. to worship the one true God. Uh, as the uh, children head out to uh, children in worship, I do want to thank the archaeologists that found that video back in a deep closet in one of the temple uh, um, artifact rooms in Jerusalem that had give us the interviews from those folks as they were returning um, to Jerusalem, to their homeland, um, after being in exile for 70 years uh, in, in Babylon. And I, and I, I uh, wonder what it would have been like you know, if Daniel would have been able to, to see those videos, to see the, the response of the people who had finally come home. Um, to, to, to Jerusalem. I mean, just a beautiful picture of, of God's faithfulness lived out among His people as they celebrate you know, their return home. Now, remember, let, let's just recall the, the story of, of Daniel, the, the events in Daniel's life. You know, I mean, 70 years before these, or actually even more than that, before uh, these uh, videos, Daniel was a teenager hanging out at home in Jerusalem. He was, he was hanging out there in, in enjoying learning and growing. And in that time, the Babylonian army, led by Nebuchadnezzar, comes through, overtakes the land, rips Daniel from his family, takes a couple other guys, brings them and a whole bunch of other folks into Babylon as slaves. Destroys his homeland. Destroys the, the temple. Destroys all the, that he remembers of home. And so as a teenager, now he's brought into Babylon, put in a new school, new group home, um, and there is taught the ways of Babylon. And he lives there for decades. Now, we see him every once in a while. He had a couple of high, high watermarks in his, his life with Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, times when he faced the, the lions in the lion's den. Time we had to read the writing on the wall. The time of saying, you know, I need to eat this instead of what you want me to eat. But, you know, those are three, four times that those guys have that we, they surface. But for the most part, for as long as he lives under three different kings, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and Darius, he's simply faithfully doing his work in Babylon. For decades and decades, not knowing if this is going to amount to anything, but he's simply being faithful. I mean, he wasn't—he wasn't at the interview because he was dead. Daniel died in Babylon, but for him to have seen. These interviews to have seen that people had come home, that they'd found their, their peace, they'd found that security again, would affirm in him, would assure him that that time of faithfully serving God 
largely in the obscurity of the king's cabinet was a worthwhile effort because God carried God's people through the exile and brought them back home. And he would see how his place in that, his faithfulness over those decades, was used and honored by God to bring them home. It reminded me of one of the pastors we talked about last week, for those that were here, uh, Pastor Wang Ziming, who was a pastor in a church in China in the 60s, during the Cultural Revolution, uh, eventually um, a lot, you know, churches were, were burned and, and Christians were imprisoned. And, and Pastor Ziming, uh, likewise, was sent home to just to work on the farm. And eventually, though, the, the, the groups that were persecuting Christians came through his village and grabbed him, grabbed his family, marched them around uh, throughout the town, casting insults, persecuting them, eventually imprisoned them. And Pastor Ziming was executed, refusing to deny his faith in Christ. His family the same way. His four sons were arrested. Three were imprisoned. The other son killed himself because he refused to go back in, into prison. In the 60s, in his village, in his county, there were 3,000, roughly 3,000 Christians in his day. In 2005, after the Cultural Revolution has come and gone, the church remains, God is faithful still, and those 3,000 have turned into 30,000 followers of Jesus. Pastor Ziming, just like Daniel, if they could only know now, well, actually, they both know, much greater than even we can see with earthly eyes, that their effort of being faithful to God is a worthwhile labor. Daniel would see, as we see from the interviews and as we see from our passage that we're going to look, look at now, that, that God is faithful and He brings His people through the journey. That God brings them home to Him and God's people ultimately are faithful to God, even though the, the journey has been horrendous. I want us to, to look now at Nehemiah chapter 8. And, and, and see exactly what happens with the people, what, what they've been talking about on the video as, as God's people have returned home, as they've built the temple back, they've, they've built the city walls back, and now they are gathering and they're asking, read God's word to us. And as we learn from them, we'll learn from Daniel, the, the central affirmation, I believe, the central affirmation that sustained them throughout the decades of exile and sustains them and sustains us even now. Nehemiah chapter 8 is found on page 379 in your pew Bible. We'll start with verse 1. We'll skip a couple verses because it's really just a list of names of the Levites that are helping Ezra to read the word and explain it. Um, to uh, the people. Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you for your written word. Thank you as it tells us the events of your people and, and as it continues to, to communicate to us through the power of your spirit how we follow you today. 
We give ourselves to you so that we might celebrate together your faithfulness. Open our eyes and ears to receive from you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Nehemiah chapter 8 starting with verse 1. All the people gathered together into the square before the water gate. They told the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Accordingly, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could hear with understanding. This was on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. Then they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their face to the ground. Bless you. So they read from the book, from the law of God, with interpretation. They gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions of them to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Just a couple uh, words of insight here. Uh, For us, it it may not be all that appetizing to hear, go eat the fat. But in those days, that was a good word. Uh, That was to eat the the most succulent part. So whatever is succulent for you, if it's zucchini or filet mignon, you just substitute that word for um, eat the fat. Because that's what it was. Go eat! Drink, you know, have a feast, enjoy, because God is faithful and brought you home. I think it's just distilling from Daniel, from the, the, the walk that we've had with Daniel, and looking particularly at, at this response of God's people and how Ezra and the Levites are trying to lead them and teach them that the central, um, most crucial, sustaining truth that I think flows from this is as we are on our journey, individually and on our journey together, is that... This journey is about God. 
as Rick Warren started the very, that book, Purpose Driven Life, this journey is about God. It's not about you or me. It's not about what we see in the mirror. This journey is about God. Our strength comes from our joy in the Lord. It's the faithfulness of God that we celebrate. But what I, I learned from Daniel in this, I'm amazed that at least it's not recorded. So somehow he had editorial privileges or something. But nowhere in this journey does Daniel ever stop and complain. Nowhere is he moaning and groaning, and yet he is a victim through this. I mean, obviously, he's a faithful man of God. He's serving God throughout. He's at home. He's going to Jerusalem high. Man, who knows? Maybe he's playing on the football team. Whatever. And Nebuchadnezzar comes through and totally destroys his life. And he doesn't quit. Never gives up. You never hear him moaning and groaning. He realizes this as a young person. He realizes as great wisdom that this isn't about Daniel. This is about God's faithfulness. It's not up to Daniel to fix it. It's not up to to, to Daniel to to make it all. It's about Daniel simply to be faithful to God, to continue to focus his attention on God and, and to follow him. And to not give up. Daniel does not focus on himself. He doesn't focus on his circumstances. He focuses on the the faithfulness, the mercy, the grace, the love, the forgiveness, the joy, the power of Almighty God. He focuses on God's promises. The, the, The crucial sustaining truth is this is about God. Not about me or you or us. God. The people of Israel, during the, the events here, now, you know, so they've gone through the, the exile, they, they've come home, they, they've rebuilt things, and now they're, they're gathered to hear the word. And they, they almost missed it here. They almost missed it. They, they almost started back to, to turning, turning the focus back on them. I mean, I think, I think what happened is the word was being read. Yeah, they, they saw that, man, we missed it. We blew it. I mean, they, they heard the stories. They knew the events that had happened that caused them to go into exile. I mean, the reason they were in exile was because God brought this huge intervention into Israel. Israel was gone. They were going their own way. God had tried to bring Isaiah, brought Amos, brought Jeremiah, brought all the prophets to come wake up the people of God. Come back. Come back to God. But the Israelites kept going further and further away. And you see, the plan of God was that through Israel, it was going to bring the rescue of the world. And so he decided to then intervene into the life of Israel. An intervention of the most radical form. Said, okay, Nebuchadnezzar, come on in. And destroy them. So as to wake them up. So that they will come back to me. So that they will know of my power and might. So that they indeed will continue to carry out the plan of rescuing the world. So they heard all that. They, they recognized it. They saw how far they had gone. And so they wept. They wept in an appropriate form of contrition and confession. They couldn't stay there. 
You know, this, this wasn't about you. This isn't about your failure. This isn't about your sin. This isn't about your brokenness. This isn't about your inabilities. This is about God's success. This is about God's ability. This is about God's might, God's grace, God's love. This is about what He has done. So rejoice, people. Take your attention off of your brokenness and put it on to God's wonder and might and wholeness. That's the central sustaining truth in all of life on our journey. Individually and corporately. You may find yourself right now in the the midst of of a Daniel-like experience. You are just minding your own business. You are doing the right stuff and life hits you in the face or maybe even worse. Learn from Daniel. Learn from God's people. Now is the, the time to continue to focus your attention on the wondrous love and power of God. It may be no fault of your own. It may be totally your fault. It doesn't matter. Because it's not about you. It's about God. It may be like the people in Israel returning home. That that you're coming face to face with your own sin and your own brokenness. You know, your own inabilities. Your your, your own capacities to sin and and to go your own way. And to ignore God. To ignore others. And the, the, the difficulty and challenges of over, overtaking our own selfishness and truly living in love with others. We might be coming face to face with all of that, whatever the addictions, whatever the mess. Hear this word. It's not about you. It's about the love and the grace and the power of Jesus Christ who has lived for you, who has died for you, who's been raised to new life for you, who one day will come and return for you. He has freed you from the guilt of sin and death. Him and Him alone. That's the good news, friends. It is Jesus, period, paragraph, end of sentence, end of paper, print it out. Because there is nothing that you can do to add or take away. The central affirmation that the Israelites had to hear from Ezra and from the others is, listen, this is not about you, this is about God. And God has overtaken even your sin. That's why when we gather at the table, this is a table of of celebration today. I mean, this is a table of, of the radical nature of the grace of God. It's a scandal. I believe it is the hardest thing to believe. That we receive from Jesus because of His love and grace. And we don't add anything to it. We simply receive from Him. That may be the hardest thing for me to believe. Because I want to do something. I want it to be about me. And I'm very creative and sneaky to make it about me. Instead of about Jesus. But I don't add anything and either do you. To what Jesus has done for us. 
So as we come to the cross, as we come to the table, we receive from Him. He takes the sin and rids us of it totally. I mean, it's gone. It's down the drain. On the way to the sewage treatment plant, you can't get it back. It's gone. Because it's not about you. It's about Jesus. That's why Daniel, that's, that's why anyone who's following Jesus, seeking to keep our attention upon Him, fixed upon Him, it's a worthwhile effort. It's a worthwhile labor. Because we know, just as the Israelites were brought home, so too everyone in Christ is brought home. Clothed in the righteousness of Christ, carried in His might and His power. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this day, as we gather at the table, as we come for God's healing, let's celebrate His goodness. Just simply decide to rejoice in Him because He is powerful. He is able. He is good. He is forgiveness. If there are tears, let there be tears of joy. If there are tears, let there be tears of release. If there are tears, let let them be tears of freedom. For Jesus' labor was worthwhile. It accomplished His purposes perfectly. Amen.